Amen. Jesus is the only one who can give us life. He's the only one in whom we can have hope. Thank you so much for that beautiful number. Thank you also to Ruth and Shem for the ministry of an amazing grace. Shem's just with us here for this weekend, so it's a great thing to have him here and be able to hear and have him share with us in special music. As we redirect our attention to the Word of God, would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. In Bible Hour, we have begun and launched into the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. They go together. Ezra and Nehemiah. But really, these books are incomplete. Why? Because they have to have the sermons. The sermons aren't in the books. Haggai and Zechariah are the preachers that are right there, tag along aside, the history of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, there's a lot more we could talk about, Jeremiah, Isaiah, others. There's a whole progressive revelation that is built up to this history that really is all tied in. But the contemporary sermons and preaching is Zechariah and Haggai. What's that have to do with all of us here today? What's it have to do with us as Christians, also in yet a new dispensation, the time of the church? Well, there is a key player that was involved in the days of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. He was a key player on the day of Pentecost. He was a key player in the early church, has been a key player throughout church history, is the key player in modern times. And I hope this morning he is the key player in your life and mine. Who am I talking about? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. In the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, this word came from the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It was declared to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Do we have mountains in our lives? Well, Zerubbabel did. Zerubbabel had an impossible mountain before him. But God says before Zerubbabel, that mountain shalt become a plain, a flat land. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. So who is the Spirit of God? Let's pray. Dear Spirit of God, come alongside us this morning. Teach us. Illuminate us. Show us who you are. Help us to understand how you are so important in our day-to-day -day lives, moment by moment. We rejoice in who you are and what you've already done in our lives, and we pray that 
in this day and in every moment yet to come, we would walk in you and be filled with you. We need you. I need you right now. Fill me. Use me. Help me as I open your word and teach. We commit ourselves to you now as we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Back in July, on the 16th, I taught a lesson. And I had an object lesson. It was a weird one for me. Anybody remember it? What was the object? Yeah, basketball. I don't play basketball. See this basketball? <laughs> I don't know. I just found this in the, um, in the church building floating around here. I don't even know who it belongs to. You guys know where it came from? Just, I just found it floating around here. You know, you don't find balls in the auditorium very often, do you? But I found this one last night, sitting back there. What's significant about this ball right now, actually? It's flat. What's it need? It needs air. Can I put it in a different word? It needs spirit. That's another word for air, by the way. Spirit. It needs air. It's flat. It needs filled. I tell you that I like questions because it helps me. It helps me to know where things are going. And I got a question back on the 16th of July. And I won't tell you who it's from. And I want to just start off by saying thank you, thank you, thank you for the question. Because I think it's a question that more than just you had. And um, in this question, you say, please forgive my slowness. No, please forgive my, my lack of clarity. Let's together seek to understand. So what is this question? I was going over my sermon notes again tonight. Please forgive my slowness. Nothing to forgive. How do you let God fill you with his Holy Spirit? Is there some special secret that I don't know? I thought the Holy Spirit is with us when we get saved. Great question. The gist of it. How do you let God fill you with his Holy Spirit? Is there some special secret that I don't know? I thought the Holy Spirit is with us when we get saved. Three questions, really good questions, and I like to do my best from the Bible and answer those questions because I don't think this is the only person who may have these questions. This one was just bold enough to ask. Let's start with that last question. I thought the Holy Spirit is with us when we get saved. Question for you, brothers and sisters. Is the Holy Spirit with you when you get saved? Yes or no? Yes. Good, you know the answer. So the answer is yes, the Holy Spirit is with you when you get saved. So why was this question asked? Well, it was asked because I was talking an awful lot using the object lesson of the basketball that we need to be filled with the Spirit, which could imply that you don't have them. And the answer is you do have them. How do we know that? Well, this morning we don't have time to cover exhaustively the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Nor do we have time to even comprehend, nor even the ability, the person of the Holy Spirit, because he's not just a doctrine. 
He's a person. But there's a few important facts we do need to know about the Spirit of God and how He interrelates with us. Because just as He was the key player in the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of the early church, He is a key player today. And if we don't understand what He's doing and how He's doing it, we're going to miss out. We're going to be playing the game of life with a flat ball, and that's no fun. So that question, I thought the Holy Spirit is with us when we get saved. Well, the first doctrine we're going to look, about, look at regarding the Holy Spirit is the teaching and the fact that when you get saved, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He seals you. You are guaranteed to be the child of God. And you know what the seal is? He doesn't pour wax on your heart and stamp it with some fancy, pretty decorative thing. The seal is himself. He moves inside you. Which leads to the second truth of the Holy Spirit, and that is that he indwells us. He dwells inside the believer. And when we learn that he lives inside of us, we find out that we are the temple of God. But just because he lives inside of us does not mean that he has the effectiveness he wishes to have. Because we, as Lincoln inferred just a few moments ago, can quench him. We can grieve him. And what we need is to be filled with him. And being filled with him is a little different than being indwelt by him. Being filled with him means that he has full control. Indwelt means that he's living there. He's living there. Just imagine if you had somebody come live in your house. Do they have full control? <laughs> Not normally. But when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, when we're filled with him, he has full control. And when we're filled with him, we will walk in him. It means we'll live life by his strength, by his power, by him, who he is. So this morning, we're going to survey the scriptures and learn about and see for ourselves in the promise and reliable word of God, the reality, in fact, that the believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit, that the believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God, that the believer needs to obey the command to be filled with the Spirit of God, and when filled, the believer needs to obey the command to walk or live in the Spirit of God, bringing forth the fruits of the Spirit. And the believer needs to beware that he does not quench and does not grieve the Spirit of God. And some of you might be wondering, well, let's talk about that middle question. Is there some special secret that I don't know? on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought about saving it for the end. But you know what? Um, I can't wait. Because the truth is, is that it is a secret. But it isn't. If you have the Word of God, you'll find that it's not a secret. It isn't a secret. But I'll tell you, we have two things that try to keep it a secret. 
I should say, two people. The first is the father of lies. The father of lies is the devil, that old serpent. He's a liar. He's been from the beginning. And he wants us to think that it's a secret that we can't discover. We're only special spiritual people can discover it. That's kind of funny word, spiritual, because that's all tied in with this. You know spiritual means that you're filled with the Spirit. What's that secret? Is it a secret? Well, the simple truth, the simple secret is found in two realities. How do you be filled with the Spirit? It's very similar to salvation. In fact, it's exactly the same. How do you get saved? By believing. By believing. Believing in God. Believing. And the second is obeying. In the context of salvation, it is to obey the gospel. In the context of daily life, it is to know what God has said and know that he has given you the Spirit and letting him have control, letting him obey using your body, mind, spirit, and soul. It's believing in him, believing that he can accomplish what only he can do, and then here's the key. May I say secret? Letting him. Letting him. That's where it ties back. Yielding ourselves to him. Giving him the permission, the authority, the right to fill us. Believe and obey. That's the secret. But what do you believe? There lies the question. And there lies where so much confusion is. I have personal friends who believe that the filling of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by speaking in gibberish. They call it tongues. That's what they believe. I've been told kindly once and very rudely another time to my face that since I have never spoken in tongues, I have never been filled with the Spirit of God. Note, speaking in tongues is tied to the Spirit of God because he did do it in the church. It wasn't gibberish in the early church. It was languages, true historical living languages at that time. They spoke in it, those tongues. It's just one tiny little part of how the Spirit has worked in history in filling his believers. But it's a whole lot more. And all of that in the time of the early church was very specific as a sign miracle to authenticate, according to Hebrews, the messages of those who were coming forth with that message. But we know also now that we have a more sure word of prophecy in the complete revelation of God in his word, that that sign miracle of speaking in tongues, those other languages shall cease. It's said in 1 Corinthians. We believe that it has due to the fact that we have the reliable word of God to speak to us today, and the Holy Spirit will teach us through 
the reliable, dependable Word of God. So it comes back to how are you filled with the Spirit, and I say believe. Know this, it has a whole lot more to do with speaking other languages miraculously, having never studied them before. Boy, sometimes I wish I could do that. But God has not given me that gift of tongues. I don't think he has in the miraculous sense since the early church. But boy, oh boy, what does it mean then to be filled with the Spirit? What do we believe about the Spirit so that we can then obey, so that we can then go forward walking in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? Well, I went through a few words, and if you're keeping notes, I'll go through those words again, because these concepts... These realities of the Holy Spirit are foundational in our Christian life. It is being the Christian being sealed by the Spirit of God, the Christian being indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Christian being filled with the Spirit of God, the Christian walking in the Spirit of God, the Christian grieving, or rather not grieving, the Spirit of God, and the Christian quenching, or rather not quenching, the Spirit of God. We need to understand these truths, these doctrines about the Holy Spirit, so that we can then go forward living these doctrines. Living these doctrines. So let's look at that one, that first one, being sealed. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved, there's a whole lot of things that happen in a moment. In a moment of time. You're saved. You're redeemed. You're bought back. You're delivered from the power of sin. You become a child of God. You are baptized into Christ. You are sealed by and with the Holy Spirit. And we know that here from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, where it says, In whom, that is Jesus, Jesus Christ, he also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you heard the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did for you, and you believed it, what happens in here? In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You're authenticated. You're guaranteed. And in fact, he's not just a seal in the sense of guarantee of authenticity. He is the earnest. <laughs> this truth, I, 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 every time I read this verse, I say, I, I, I pray to God, help me, help me to comprehend this reality. It says that he, the seal of the Holy Spirit of the promise, he is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. This is actually referring to our bodies that will be 
redeemed in the sense that it's speaking of the resurrection here. But it says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. Now, now why do I pray, help me comprehend that? An earnest is a little bit of something given to us as a guarantee that there is more to follow. Okay? So when you buy a house or you put an offer on a house, you give earnest money. I mean, sometimes it's a minuscule amount, really. You give earnest money. That, that is given as a guarantee that more will follow. The complete payment will follow. More will come. Well, this says that when you have believed in Jesus, he gives you a little bit of your inheritance as an earnest, as a guarantee that there's a whole lot more to come. Now, how does this blow my mind? That the eternal God himself, his spirit moves inside of me and it's only a little bit of what's to come? Some of you are just looking at me with dumbfound faces. That's amazing! Absolutely amazing! That when we believe in Jesus and trust in him, he seals us, not with wax, but with himself. And he calls it just an earnest of our inheritance. Just a little bit of all that's to come. Wow! especially as you start to understand who God is and to know that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. Forgive me, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. I believe this is one of those truths and realities at the funeral last, yesterday I preached that in the ages to come... <laughs> This is one of those treasures we're going to just keep on exploring. And I think we're going to spend all eternity, that's forever and ever 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 and ever, still comprehending and wrapping our minds finite around the glory of this truth. Wow. Now, I said that these truths should change our life. How? What's the secret. Here's the secret. Every day, fiery darts are targeted on you and I as Christians. We have a slanderer named the devil who all the time is slandering us before God. And sometimes he does it in our own hearts and minds. And I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. Oftentimes I believe his lies. So what does this truth and reality have to do with my daily life? I'm sealed. I have the guarantee, the earnest of the Holy Spirit that I am a child of God. That I can have the fullness of God in me right now. That no matter what I face or deal with or the lies or temptations, that the Spirit of God lives inside of me. No matter how weak my body may feel, 
torn down by disease. One thing my dad gloried in the Parkinson's and the cancer ravaging his body. I had written an email to you and I put it in this really eloquent words and I had my wife read it and she says, way too, way too eloquent and picturesque, vivid. And I said it was the, the conquering occupation of cancer. She says, way too dramatic. I said, that's what it was. That's what it was. The conquering occupation of cancer. It was conquering. It started with his, pink, uh, his, his prostate and then his bones and then to his, to his liver and his colon and it was conquering and occupying. In the times when you're experiencing the conquering occupation of cancer, the guarantee of the seal of the Spirit of God will give you hope because it's the shore of the inheritance to come. And no matter what people may do or disease may do to this body, I can go forward knowing that I am sealed. And I've got the Holy Spirit living inside me. He not only seals me, but he lives inside of me, which comes to our second truth of the Holy Spirit, that the Christian, the believer, is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The context of this is really exciting, but we don't have time to go into it today. It's a whole series in and of itself having to do with the good works that we do day by day and how and by what strength do we do it. Do we do right or wrong with the motivation of self-righteousness and self-glory or do we do it by the Spirit of God? Do we realize that when we are sinning, we are sinning and defiling the temple of God? Because our bodies are the temple of God. And no matter how and whatever the conquering occupation is in our lives and in our bodies, we're his temple. This is interesting. The doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is most significantly taught by asking questions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, both times this truth is point blank taught, Paul teaches it by asking it as a question. Don't you know this? This is the reason why, dear fellow heir with Christ who wrote your question, please forgive my slowness. Don't worry, the church at Corinth actually had to be forgiven for their slowness because Paul is asking them saying, don't you know these things? He doesn't say it that way though. He's very kind for he says, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? You see, he's wording it as a, hey, you already know this. You see it? Hey, hey, you already know this. You already know this. You know this. This is fact. But why does he ask it this way? Because if we actually 
believed, this sounds going to sound weird to you, I know, if we actually believed what we know, we wouldn't sin. Did you catch that? If we actually believed what we know, we wouldn't sin. Why do I say that? Because when we actually believe the truth, it will change our lives. And we would know that if the Holy Spirit lives in us, we wouldn't do that sin. We wouldn't speak that unkind word. We wouldn't do what He wouldn't have us to do. Rather, we would actually do those things that would bring about good works that are of gold and precious stones. That's the context of this. Bringing forth works that are not of wood, hay, or stubble that are burned up when tried, but works, good works, that are precious, that won't be destroyed by the fires of testing. And it also will result in us not sinning. Look at verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Ooh, that's disturbing. What's he saying? The truth of what's saying here is, is that there are some who have the Spirit of God living within them, and yet they continually, obstinately to sin and to defile their very bodies, and they will even bring themselves to the point of death. 1 Corinthians talks about that happening in the church at Corinth, of people who quench the Spirit of God so much that they will actually bring their bodies their bodies to be destroyed. It doesn't mean that there's still not the hope of the resurrection because when the seal sealed, it's sealed. But when you believe that, it should change your life, that you're not defiling the temple of God. There's a whole lot more here in 1 Corinthians 3, but my simple point was in turning you here is to teach you from the Word of God that when you believe, He moves in, and that should change your life. The same truth is over in chapter 6. Turn over there. Again, it's asked as a question. What? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. Here's the concluding truth of this. Back in chapter 3, the warning was given, the wake up, don't be doing those sins that are going to defile your body. And by the way, in this chapter, it talks about the sin of fornication, and it talks about it as a sin against your own body. And it concludes with this declaration. Why would you do these things? What? Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, what difference should this make in my life? What difference should it make in every believer's life? glorify God with your body. So when you believe that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you will do that which is right with your body, with your hands and with your feet and with your tongue and with your mind. You will do what will glorify God because you'll, re you'll, you'll believe that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost and that you are not your own. You will every day offer yourself up as a living sacrifice. God, use me today however you want to use me.
Every believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit, guaranteed. Every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. He moves in. And every believer can be filled with the Spirit of God. How is that different than, than indwelt? Well, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. Grammarians, listen up. You're all grammarians, but you didn't know it. If you talk, you're a grammarian. What is this? It's, in grammar terms, an imperative. Now, what's that in normal everyday talk? It's a command. And if a command is given, that means that it can be obeyed or it can be disobeyed. Here is the difference and a shift of a change of what we've learned thus far. When you believe in Jesus Christ, trust in him, you are sealed by and with the Spirit of God. It's fact. It happens automatically. He moves in. He lives inside. It's fact. It happens. Nothing changes it even if you destroy your body in the filth of sin. Why would you do that? If you would obey this command to be filled. This is something that we have a choice in. We have a choice to obey or to disobey. This is how we can choose to glorify God with our bodies or defile our bodies. We choose. We choose. Will we allow the Spirit of God to fill us with all the fullness of God to give us and to enable us to do what is right? To not do what is wrong, but do what is right. It's just like here the concept of being drunk with wine. That's what the context is, Ephesians 5, 18. And be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess. What happens with wine? Well, it actually does the exact opposite. It actually takes away all of your inhibitions and abilities, even sometimes to walk. It removes your ability to do the right thing or to do anything sometimes, at least safely. The opposite of it is, is to be filled with the Spirit, which carries the same context in letting Him have control. It's yielding to Him and saying, in this moment, I've got this absolutely ridiculous coworker that's just raining away at me and I want to blow up. Now, you could say, I'm not going to blow up, I'm not going to blow up, I'm not gonna, and that might work. But you know what the better thing is? Help me, Holy Spirit. Your way is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Oh, what is meekness? Strength, power, control. Strength and power under control in spite of pressures unbelievable. Holy Spirit of God, it's not about my self-discipline, my will, because I'm going to just blow. Help me. Fill me. You know, so often, <clears throat> you know what people do in that situation? They go get drunk. I've got some friends who do that. Stressful day at work, their solution is to get drunk. 
when the truth is the exact opposite. Rather, it is to be filled with the Spirit. That is to yield to Him. The secret here, which isn't a secret because it's been revealed, is to simply believe that He wants to have control of my life opposite of alcohol. He wants control of my life and saying, take it. Live my life. Do it. Do your will through me because I can't do it. So again, the secret is believe that the Spirit of God wants to fill you and obey. Let him fill If we turn back to the book of Galatians, we come to the other truth and reality, and that is walk in the Spirit. Here is the key. Here's the secret again. We have a choice to walk in the flesh. (laughs) That ain't too great. If you don't believe me, just take a moment to go and check out a dead person's body. That's really kind of what is as, as great as it is. Walk in the flesh, or will we walk in the Spirit? And this, too, is a command. It is a command, which means we have a choice in it. We've already been sealed by the Spirit of God. He's already living inside of us. But will he let us guide us in that step and that step, in this word and that word? Will we let him guide every step, every word, every thought? See, there's the key. Will we obey this command to walk, that is to live our life? in the Spirit. And this declaration in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, it is declared as a statement. Listen up, he says, basically. To put this in modern vernacular, he says, this I say then, what that means is, hey, listen up! This I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And we don't have time this morning. Mark it down, write it down in your notes, go back and read the rest of this chapter, because he talks about the lusts of the flesh and it ain't pretty. And if any of these things are in our life, it is an evidence that we are walking in the flesh. So the command is that we need to believe and obey is to walk in the Spirit. That is letting Him take control. And instead of the works of the flesh coming forth, verses 22 and following, the fruits of the Spirit, which I just quoted through to you a moment ago, will come forth. They come forth by believing. This is what it means to be spiritual. If anybody ever talks to you and mocks somebody who is spiritual, it's a a game that's being played by the devil. There is a pseudo-spirituality. And just because there's a pseudo, that means fake. Just because there's a fake spirituality does not undermine the fact that there is a real spirituality. And so often we get, you, so spiritual. No, that is, you, pseudo-fake. But there is a real spirituality, and the real spirituality is being yielded, surrendered entirely and completely to the Spirit of God, being filled with Him and letting Him bring forth His fruits in our lives. The truth of the matter is, the one who is pseudo-spiritual is actually walking in the flesh. That's why we are so ew about it. Because it is. It's absolutely disgusting. But when we are letting and allowing the Spirit of God, believing that He wants to fill us, believing that He wants to guide every step and that He can, and He can help us even do the most difficult, may I say impossible things, when we believe 
and obey. Why do we walk in the flesh? Why do we sin? Because we are quenching the Spirit. What's that mean? He is a source of life. He is a source of power. He is a source of (laughs) these fruits. And if you take that and you kink that source, take a garden hose, you ever kinked it? Sometimes you gotta, right? Don't do that with the Spirit of God because that's called quenching Him. That is in those moments when we know we should walk in the Spirit. We know we should obey God. And we, we not only don't believe that we can obey God, but um, we then choose to disobey Him. You know, how we, you know how we oftentimes, as Christians, most frequently do that? By just not caring. Not caring what God wants to do in my life. Modern millennial term, be intentional about it. Be intentional about being filled with the Spirit, about what His will is for my life today and obeying, not just coasting through life. You know what happens when you coast through life? You'll be like a ship in a storm tossed to and fro. What's going to happen? Shipwreck. No. It's letting Jesus be at the helm of that ship, the wind of the Spirit guiding it with the authority of the Word of God. That's how you can navigate this life. That's how you can walk it by letting the Spirit of God teach you from the Word of God. Do not quench Him, because as we quench Him or we ignore Him, we are grieving Him. Ephesians 4.30, Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Do you see how the truth of the sealing ties in with our daily life? Do you see it? He has sealed me. Think of the basketball illustration here. Only reason why this basketball holds any air is because it has a nice, good valve seal. So since we have the seal, let's not quench it. Let's just let him have control of it. You know, he's going to fill us and 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 fill us. We'll never be flat. Do not quench him, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption, and do not grieve him. Do not grieve him, Ephesians 4.30. Read the verses around that. We don't have time to preach through it all. All these verses are in context. Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, goes right on to explain how, what difference this will make in our lives. I'm sorry, I have to read it. What happens when this happens? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. It doesn't end at the chapter. You've got to keep going. And I'll stop there, though, this morning. But you've got to keep going. The Spirit of God is wanting to do these things in our lives, and it may seem impossible to uproot bitterness. It may seem impossible to forgive. It may seem impossible to be kind. And I'm going to give you a clue. I agree with you. It is impossible in the flesh. 
in your own strength, in your own might, and in your own power. But if you surrender, believing that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God and believe that he lives inside of you and believe that he wants to fill you and believe that he has commanded you to walk in him, he will give you the power to obey. And that's why the key is, the secret is, trust and obey. Turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where there are some commands given. And we'll close here. But I want you to turn in your Bibles, because I want you to see it. If you're taking notes or start taking notes, this is an important key passage. There's a lot of truths here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but we're going to start in verse 16. Here's a command. Ready? Rejoice evermore. Oh, boy, but Holy Spirit, you don't understand how hard that would be. Hey, save your argument with him. Believe, obey. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you're always on your knees, but that means that every moment of the day, you're recognizing that the Spirit's right there with you, living inside of you, and you see this temptation, you say, help me, Holy Spirit. My flesh wants to do that. And I know you don't. Help me. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Ingratitude tears us down and destroys us. But when the Spirit of God is living in us, in everything we will give thanks. And if you're wondering what the will of God is for your life, young people, we always ask that question. Here's, here's one of the first biggest clues. Right here, start here. Obey this. Believe and obey this. And if you believe and obey this truth of gratitude in life, it'd do a whole lot leading you to your career, to your spouse, to all those things he has for you. When you have gratitude, give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying those applications of the truths of God's word. Prove all things. Doesn't mean go try out wicked. Before you try it out, prove it. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. For what is God's will for your life? The very God of peace sanctify you holy, that is, set you apart, make you holy, holy. And here's the prayer that Paul has for the church at Thessalonica. And it's a prayer that I have for you, and I pray that you have it for me. This is one of my theme verses. It's on my desk. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know what you're thinking. And I know what our adversary, the devil, is doing in your heart right now. He's saying, that's not possible. <laughs> that preacher's crazy. That word is crazy. Half God's, you know by experience that's not possible. What's this prayer? This is some high spiritual lofty prayer. Is it? Is it? Oh no. This is why I say believe. The secret, the key is believe, believe, believe. This prayer God wants to accomplish in my life. 
the very God of peace, sanctify you holy, set you apart. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the key verse to counter all those lies. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You know who that is? That's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of God. God has called us to holiness. He has called us to set us apart from himself as his treasure. He wants to give us all good things. He wants to give us victory over temptation, and he wants to <laughs> curb the appetites of our lusts. Well, we let him. Oftentimes, we don't let him because we don't believe he can. I'll speak for myself. So what do we need as the truth to counter all of this? The guarantee of verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you. You're the you who's called you. God's called you. God's called you to holiness, to sanctification. He's called you to rejoice evermore. He's called you to pray without ceasing. He's called you to give thanks in all things. How will this be possible? How? How? That's what he's called you to. He'll do it. So this is the secret. Do we believe it? And will we obey? You know what obedience really is? Just let him do it. Did you catch that? Obedience is just letting him do it. Here's my hands. Here's my mind. Here's my tongue. Here's my body, my soul, my spirit. I yield it to you as a living sacrifice. Do it through me. That's called self-sacrifice. A living sacrifice. That's why Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. For this is reasonable and acceptable. This is logical. For you've been purchased with a price. Yield yourselves up to God. Believe and obey. And what does obey mean? Just let him do it. Let the faithful one do it. That's the secret. That's the secret. And don't believe the lies of the devil that says otherwise. This morning, will you believe? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Well, that's pretty fundamental, isn't it? I need a Savior. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is that Savior, that he died for your sins, was buried and rose again to save you from your sins and the judgment of sin? Do you believe that he wants to save you from the power of sin day by day? Do you believe that he has sealed you and that he lives inside of you and that that should make a difference in your life and how you live? Do you believe that he wants to fill you and he wants you to walk in him, giving him control of every part of your thoughts and actions? Do you believe? And then you say, but it's too hard to obey. And if you're talking about in your own flesh, you're right. So will you believe that? Will you believe that you can't do it? 
because that's the truth. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. All that we do without Jesus, that's the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which we didn't have to preach. It all burn up. Without him, it all burn up. No matter how great, glorious, wonderful they are, it all burn up. So will we admit that without him, we can't do it? Can't do nothing. But with Jesus and his abiding presence, his word abiding in us, we can bring forth much fruit to glory of God the Father. There's our hope. Do we believe it? Will we obey? And the secret to obedience is just let him do it. Great God, we bow to you this day and give thanks to you for your goodness, for your love. We need you. We need you in salvation and we need you in sanctification. We need you in glory. We need you. We need you every moment of every hour. May we be humble enough to admit it. In those moments when we feel strong and powerful, may we realize our utter weakness and let you do your work through us. We need you. I pray this morning for those who have not received you as Savior, who have not been sealed, who have not received you, Holy Spirit, as the earnest of their inheritance, that today, oh, today, they would believe and be saved, be sealed, be indwelt. And then may we all, as Christians, be filled with your Spirit, walk in your Spirit, beware that we quench not your Spirit, lest we grieve you, dear spirit. We need you. We need you. It's in your name I pray.